0: Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, you got to listen in every Tuesday to stay up to date on the most recent medication therapy topics. Game Changers creates awareness about pharmacotherapy and clinical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy practice. Every Tuesday, a new episode of Game Changers is published on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. And always remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare.
1: Hello there. Welcome to uh, Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University. Welcome to another episode, whether you're a first-time listener uh, or long-time listener. We, we, pre- we appreciate you uh, stopping by our podcast. Um, hopefully, we give you stuff that's both kind of semi-entertaining as well as, as informative and stuff you can definitely bring to your practice uh, as a prescriber, pharmacist, physician, what, what, whatever you do for a living. Hopefully, it'll help you uh, do it a little better. So uh, again, welcome, welcome to the program. As um, uh, As always, if you do like us, please head over to wherever you listen to our podcast. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Um, Also, head on over to CE Impact, who is our our sponsors. They have a a wide variety of of great CE uh, programs for pharmacists, including getting CE for this program. If you sign up, it's uh, very affordable. And doing so, you help us keep this program on the air, as well as uh, getting some very, very easy CE for your licensure. So, yeah. So, please head on over and do that. Today, we are going to talk about uh, uh, blood pressure and... uh, not to steal uh, David Bowie and Queen's Thunder, or I guess to steal from the Stealer, stealing uh, uh, Ice uh, Vanilla Isis Thunder. Uh, that, that joke is going to be something that only like 20% of people get. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to talk about a paper that uh, just very recently came out in JAMA, and it's it's not a it's 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 not like a brand new you know the, oh my gosh this changes everything paper, but but it, it's a continuation of 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 I think what many of us suspect, and the paper was uh, published in, on September 9th. And it was a trends in blood pressure control in U.S. adults with hypertension. And again, this is just a, uh, a continuation of, of data from the NHANE studies. Uh, many of you who work in ambulatory uh, uh, care or in, in community pharmacy have probably heard of the NA, uh, NHANE studies, where they basically uh, do in-depth uh, health reviews of patients, and then collect that data. And they look at you know seriously, you know, they look at cross-sectional surveys of tens of thousands of patients and a wide variety of ambulatory diseases. But one of the big ones they've looked at for Years and years and years has been has been hypertension, and wanting to, t- to take a look at really a couple of things. You know, first, you know, uh, do how good of a of a job do we have at controlling people's blood pressure? And second, which I always think is kind of funny, how many of these patients are even aware they have hypertension? I always thought it was kind of funny that that was a, that was something they they in every one of these studies that comes out, they always take a look at how many patients and it, and you would think 100% of patients would be aware they have high blood pressure, but it's actually a, f- a smaller number than you would think, unfortunately. So uh, this. this. This paper came out um, again in, in September. Um, and um, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, my, my frequent guest star, uh, Jake Galdo, with me, uh, who's also from CE Impact and a community pharmacist. And uh, he's uh, uh, very kindly volunteered to give his take on on the uh, paper as well. So we'll talk a little bit about the paper and then, you know, kind of go away from that, talk a little bit about, about how do pharmacists, in particular, operationalize what we've learned from this study and, and what can we do to help things, I, I think is pretty important. The paper itself, uh, itself again, is, is uh, you know, when they published several times before in, in this survey cycle, what they did was that was they, t- they look, took a look at uh, 2017 uh, to 2018. And again, they, they have kind of this, they interview this in-depth health interview and assessment of, of tens of thousands of patients. They have kind of mobile vans. You might've, there's actually, if you go to YouTube, they actually have a, a thing where they talk about what they do and stuff like that with this. And, and so they have this kind of mobile van where they go in and they do in-depth conversations and assessments of patients. And in this, cohort they looked at you know, from 2017 to 2018, they looked at almost 52,000 patients in, in this analysis so again you know a huge number of patients and 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 what they found was you know uh, I, I wouldn't say surprising but unfortunately not very enlight enlightening either because basically what they found was that uh, when compared to other cohorts in, in past times so they had they looked at a cohort from 1999 to 2000 as well as a cohort from 2013 to 2014, so basically... You know, you know when the, when they first started looking at this in nineteen ninety nine, and then just a few years ago, and then twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen. And you would think that with the the real push that we've had to 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 be aware of hypertension and and treat it aggressively, that you would see kind of a, a steady uptick in the patients who are who are being treated. And unfortunately, that is not what we saw. So before I go in and, and spoil the fun of, of, of the results, I am going to bring on Jake and again welcome you to uh, for, to Game Changers and kind of get your take on what's going on. So welcome, Jake.
0: Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about this. Uh, it's hypertension, the uh, bread and butter of community pharmacy, right?
1: Absolutely we, uh, correct. Absolutely. we got get to
0: that, that, get that lisinopril out there uh, <laughs> yep. for our 20 cent uh, reimbursement. <laughs> I was going to say,
1: yeah, <laughs> um, pharmacists make so much money in reimbursement for all the generic hypertensives we dispense, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah go.
0: Exactly.
1: I'm hoping I make $4. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's that's a whole other game changer. We, we one of these days we'll do a, we'll do a game changer on on uh, how community pharmacy is hanging on by our fingernails. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's another game changer for the future. So, what would you think about this paper, though?
0: So, so the first thing that jumped out to me on this paper, although being disappointed because you start to see us get better and then we come down, is exactly. I jumped into the methods and said, "How do they actually check the blood pressure?" And I'm pretty sure that they left the methodology from the last two decades. So they, they, like, surprise pop in on a patient. I'm sure it's better than that, but we're going to go with it. They surprise pop in the patient. They do three blood pressure readings with 30 seconds between them after the patient sits for five minutes. None of that is what we teach pharmacy students now or anybody in healthcare. Exactly. Like, oh, my gosh, like, you're going to just, like, show up with your white coat and, you know, with a hazmat suit on because of COVID, yeah. and then you're going to check their blood pressure three times, 30 seconds between it, you average the numbers and say, done, that is their blood pressure. And I just, I don't know that, that felt really off to me, but Hey, it's standard. I'm assuming that's what they did two decades ago. We can go run with it. Right. I I wonder how many people had coffee and tobacco, because if I knew I was getting a pop-up visit by somebody, I might chain smoke a little bit ahead of time, drink my coffee. Right. Right. Um,
1: yeah. No. You, yeah. Sorry. Your points. Yeah. No. Your points exactly taken. And one of the one of the things that the the 2017 guidelines I think did a great job of of talking about is how. Everybody checks blood pressure incorrectly, right? And, 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 you know, we, 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 as you just pointed out, you know, you, I know I've got my annual exam coming up here in a couple of weeks. I have no doubt that I'll be a little bit nervous when uh, they put the, the sphygmomanometer on my arm and, 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 and uh, check my blood pressure. And we know white coat hypertension is a real thing. And, and, as you just pointed out, how many of these people, you know, had had two cups of coffee or smoked a couple of cigarettes before they came in or had just, you know, you know, finished working out. I mean, there's a million things that could change things that really don't really reflect 24-hour blood pressure reading. So you're absolutely correct on that. You also, when we were talking before, talked about the fact that when we talked about the 2017 guidelines, that there were some big changes in, in targets. So what did you think about that in relation to this paper?
0: Oh, my gosh. I think that that kind of has influenced what we see, right? So, again, we started to see the numbers go up, saying uh, per, it's almost nominal data. Are you controlled or not, right? We saw right. The, that go up. So we were getting more patients controlled, and all of a sudden it dropped off. Well, from a methodology standpoint, the study authors have defined controlled blood pressure as less than uh, 140, 140 over, 90, over 90, which I get. That, that is kind of what we all agree upon. However, that's not really what guidelines stipulate anymore, particularly nope. for older patients. Um, and, it, and you can also see differences within comorbidities and targets that we recommend and I, I really think that that's influenced this result right because I, I, all of a sudden we're not saying go for 140 it's different
1: right no yeah, you're exactly correct and and you know uh, certainly some of my primary care docs and some of the 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 primary care physicians you know have certainly bemoaned the fact that they've they've basically been on on a merry-go-round trying to go you know you know, so what target am I shooting for this week? You know, I mean, and, 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 and it's kind of a joke, but not only is it important for, for them, for their, you know, okay, well, I've got a, you know, 55 year old guy, you know, uh, three years ago, I was perfectly fine to have him be 138 over 88. Now I need to have him less than 130 over 80. Right. So, you know, it, it, it not only is, is a big deal to, to many of my physicians from a, from a, from a patient care perspective, I ain't going to lie. It's also a big thing to them for a financial perspective. Is more and more insurance companies are using value-based targets, you know, and it's like, well, you know, they take a look at their their profile and say, well, you know, in 2017, I had 75% of my patients at their last check having a blood pressure of less than 140 over 90. I was doing great, and now you've changed the the you changed the the target on me, and now only have 40% of my patients under control. And so it's it's you know, it, it, you 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 feel bad for I think for 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 primary care providers because they're you know you know which you know what guideline are we listening to this week, and um, it was. It's it's I think it's been the last six years or so of of, of blood pressure management for them is 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 has been very very challenging. I, I completely agree with you. So, um, and so yeah. So, what else did you find in this study?
0: So the the real thing that jumped out to me, what I liked was we started to actually see a diverse population within a study. Yep. And I get it. This is just like looking at the U.S. and looking at our diversity. So that's wonderful. But, I mean, it's so amazing to see a study start to reflect the population of the U.S. We all come in different shapes, sizes, and colors. And all of a sudden, our our studies show that. We saw non-Hispanic whites go from two decades ago being 72% of this population to now being 64%. Mm. And that has consistently gone down. And I think that's a great thing. Because when we really think about who has negative outcomes associated with uncontrolled blood pressure, and we see it time and time again, it's those that are influenced by social determinants of health. Absolutely. It's those that are getting impacted because – they can't get to the doctor. They can't afford the medication. They don't have, you know. Do I choose my food or do I choose my medication? And I'm yep. always going to pick my food. Absolutely. And I think that it's wonderful that we're finally getting that into our literature to really understand like how do we make interventions
1: that can make a difference. Right. And we'll talk a little bit about that. I think as as, as we go along the podcast. You no, know, you're absolutely correct. And and you know I it. Probably not a big surprise that they found that guess what people who had good insurance in this study tended to have better control. <laughs> big surprise they actually were able to afford to go see their doctor. They were actually able to afford their medication, things along those lines. And and so yeah, I, I think I think that you're exactly right. And that's something that that's a whole segment of and this is true for diabetes. This is true for hyperlipidemia. This is true for asthma. It's true for a wide variety of ambulatory diseases that we just completely ignore and, and uh, largely you know and and just say well here's the med take the med. Go Good luck and 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 you're right that's something I think and pharmacists and and pharmacists have been shown I think to to, to really help with that and we'll talk about about that as, as we go along here as well you, uh, one of the, as I mentioned uh, insurance insured patients tend to do better uh, Medicare patients actually uh, tended to have the highest percentage controlled now that's going to play a big role again as we kind of talked about before not only just for for the patient care aspect of it, of it but for the pharmacy perspective of it and and quality measures and again you world as a community pharmacist, how how do you think this is going to impact you?
0: I think this is a huge aspect of what we kind of see going on right now. So to kind of give those top line results, individuals with no insurance, they only 22% were considered controlled versus those that had Medicare, it was 47%. Yeah. They're looking at twice the difference because we have insurance. And so again, that's that undercurrent of social determinants of health. Uh, but to your point, when you look at all the different variations of how they broke up payer, uh, line of business, if you will, there was commercial. So I get it from, from my employers or from mom. Uh, there was Medicare. So I get it because I'm, I'm retired. There's Medicaid. I get it from the government, from my state for, so, to help me out. No right. insurance. And then they have like a little bucket that's other government insurance, which I'm sure is how they're defining the Affordable Care Act. And, Across all of those, Medicare was the best, had the highest percent of those that were actually uh, at goal. And of all five of those systems, the one that has the measurement system that is probably most notorious is the proverbial CMS Part D star rating. And so we start to see the role of quality at a public health level influencing it. Is that the only thing that's probably driving it? No, but we, we would be remiss not to point out the role of quality and how it's influenced this, and to your point about value-based insurance design and how that's impacting
1: our providers. All right. and so I mean this isn't this isn't one thing where you know you know as you pointed out you know the, the especially the, the the star quality rating system you know every community pharmacist out there and you know is I'm sure either working to make sure that that they're getting their the, the best scores they can or if they're if they're a boots on the ground pharmacist is getting pressure from above to improve their star rating you know and and so the, the you know the question is you know when we take a look at this and 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 you say well gee you know we we we're doing okay from, we are getting better, getting better, getting better, oops, getting worse, you know, um, you know, how do we target as pharmacists and how to, how do prescribers target as prescribers, these patients who are at, at most need, you know, you talked about the social determinants of health, you know, you know, the patient who, you know, if the patient doesn't go see their doctor, doesn't go see their pharmacist, how can we reach out to, 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 to kind of, to kind of, you know, capture those patients, even if they don't show up to their annual, you know, visitor or they don't ever show up to their pharmacy because they can't afford their medical. And those are all all really important things. So you know the the fact that 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 you know quality measures don't just affect prescribers; they affect pharmacists too. And, you know, especially in 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 a lot of insurances, uh, is it makes this a, a monetary issue uh, for for the, the the practices as well as a patient care issue. Absolutely. So so you know, in the end, you know what what the study you know kind of showed you know to kind of put some numbers to things overall is you know again we had these fifty two thousand patients that. They, they they kind of took took a look at and and again they found that 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 there was a a, a kind of a, a an increase from 1999 to 2000 that cohort to 2007 to 2008 and then it kind of remained stable and then it declined from 2013 2014 to to the 2017 2018 and so in 2013 2014 uh, they had 53.8 percent of patients overall these 51,000 patients who were considered controlled and as, as Jake pointed out. You could certainly make an argument that that how they measured patients was maybe not the best way to do it, and the fact that the goal they were using, less than 140 over 90, isn't the goal that we're using for a lot of patients today, which would mean these numbers are even worse than we're thinking they are. And that number went from 53.8% uh, to uh, 43.7%. But I mean, even if you said, no, I, I don't believe that, I'm still going to go with 53%. Take a step back and say what that means. That means half of the patients that we have on, with, with, with hypertension in this country aren't controlled. You know now it is true and and I think Jane Jake pointed this out as well that the Medicare patients tended to have uh, do 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 much better and, and you know when when you looked at ages that there was a, a big difference there and and the numbers did get much better but uh, the 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 odd the the bottom line is that you know you you could even say well you know I in any normal you know biologic system you would expect five to twenty percent of patients aren't aren't going to be under control because they have resistant hypertension they have other problems et cetera et cetera we're nowhere near that and so you know what? You know what can pharmacists do? Well, if we're allowed to, if we're paid to do that, which is what we should be doing, I think the studies show pretty pretty conclusively that pharmacists play a pretty valuable role here. And you know, I won't I won't you know take you know we don't have the time to really go through the literature, but there are multiple and and randomized studies. You know you know you know not just you know I you know we I. Sent a couple of patients to a pharmacist, and they got better, sort of thing. I mean, we have we have multiple studies out there that that, that show that involving the pharmacist in patients with hypertension impl- improves blood pressure control. And um, the probably the best of all possible worlds, uh, uh, which is done uh, by uh, uh, was found in a study done here close by me at the University of Iowa by uh, one of the uh, uh, big guns of of hypertension in pharmacies, Barry Carter, and he's a good guy. And he's published multiple studies along these lines. And one of the studies that he published found that. That 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 probably the best of all possible worlds is 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 the pharmacist and physician working together. Big surprise how working together helps, you know. And and that when they randomized patients to to you know pharmacist and physician collaboration to help uh, people can get their blood sugar control, they were they were much more likely to do so. Now, of course, if you're going to be the head of a of an insurance company, you may say to yourself, well, yeah, but I can't afford to pay the pharmacist. Well, you know, that's not really probably true either. There was a very, very recent paper, actually, uh, that was published, I believe, in... JAMA or in uh, JAMA Internal Medicine that looked at telemedicine and of, of hypertension and uh, found an, an adjustment by pharmacists. So basically, the pharmacists worked with physicians, came up with a protocol. The pharmacists would, would use telemedicine to, to interact with the patient and then make adjustments uh, to their medication regimen based on that with frequent follow up. And they actually found uh, an incredible cost savings. They found it not only decreased blood pressure, it actually decreased cardiovascular events. So these patients not only got their numbers better, but they were less likely to do what we want antihypertensives to do, which is to decrease your risk of having heart attacks or strokes, right? And they actually put some 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 money to those to those numbers, and actually found that in in the system they were re- reviewing in this paper, they 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 estimated a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars savings, or about nineteen hundred dollars per patient. And that was for involving the pharmacist. So again, you could you could hire uh, uh, several pharmacists with, with with that kind of savings and still pocket some some difference if you if, if you're if you're a payor or or a health system. So you know I think I think pharmacists you know have not only been shown to improve patient care, but they're also cost effective when they do so. The other thing that pharmacists can do again and, and as part of a team is reach out to those patients that Jake pointed out that don't go see their physician or don't go to the pharmacy because they can't afford to. And um, many of you I'm sure have read. Or heard of the of the uh, barbershop study that came out a couple years ago in JAMA, where uh, they went to uh, barbershops that were largely frequented by African Americans, and uh, uh, they had a team that would go to these to these uh, barbershops to measure blood pressure. They had protocols for starting uh, medications and adjusting medications, and answering questions and counseling patients. And the leader of that team was a pharmacist, and found again in these patients who were probably less likely to go see their their physician. Uh, or you know, or, or go be put on medications or be adherent to medications. They found that it helped in control blood pressure. So even getting pharmacists out behind the counter and getting them into the into the uh, into the community has been shown to be beneficial. So, you know, I don't think there needs to be too many other studies um, out there that shows this. I, I I don't think I don't think that 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 the, the the profession of pharmacy really needs to say you know we're trained to help you guys do this and let us help and we can not only you know get your numbers. Better, we can not only improve uh, uh, outcomes, we can not only be cost effective while we're doing it, but we can even get into the places where patients who, ha- who have social determinants of health that make it difficult for them to see their physician or their pharmacist, or cultural differences that make it more uh, less likely than to see healthcare providers. We can get in there and talk to them. So, you know, the question is, you know, will the federal government, will state government, will insurers themselves say, you know, it's worth us paying pharmacists to do this. And of course, as a pharmacist, I certainly hope they do. Now, as Jake and I were talking before, we we started this this, this podcast, you know, this is all great, but if you're listening to me as a community pharmacist on your way to work, you're like, Yeah, that's terrific, but I'm not starting a, a, a hypertension clinic tomorrow. And unfortunately nobody's paying me to go out to a barber shop to go check somebody's blood pressure. So what can I do today to help patients? And there's a number of pearls I think that 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 pharmacists can do, you know, you know pretty easily patients and you know first of course is the stuff that we that community pharmacists do every day which is making sure that patients are being adherent making sure that they can afford their medications looking out for side effects things along those lines but but what else can we do well one of the big things that i think pharmacists can can really do in some of these patients is is, is watch out for secondary hypertension and the studies have, have suggested that we probably underestimate the number of patients who whose hypertension is either caused by or exacerbated by other outside uh, issues and uh uh I've often told my students when I talk about hypertension that that this is a, a key place where community pharmacists could really make a difference because it's the community pharmacist who knows, one – if someone's using one pharmacy, all the the antihypertensives they're on, and two, while we might not know if they're exactly being adherent, we at least know they're picking up the medications, right? So we may we may not be able to actually say for sure they took every single one of the pills that month, but we probably know better than anybody else. At least they're at least they're paying the money to pick up their prescriptions every month, and and so you know, sitting down in a patient who say is on four antihypertensives and now shows up. To the pharmacy with their fifth antihypertensive, you know. First of all, assuring that you know the, all the different people who are prescribing these knows of the other what the other hand is doing, as it were. Second of all, kind of assessing whether the patient's being adherent, and then if that's all, those are the cases. Then I think the third thing to do is is to tr- if they have time to kind of probe and see are there other uh, issues that could be exacerbating it. Uh, there's a number of over-the-counter medications, for example, nonsteroidals, a drug we usually don't associate with hypertension. I think most Average people don't, it has been shown in studies to actually, in some patients, make their control of hypertension worse. Um, it, you know, so, you know, are you, gee, are you taking a lot of ibuprofen and nobody knows about it, stuff like that? Are they on other medications that are, are likely to increase blood pressure, things like uh, the SNRIs, things like calcineurin inhibitors? Again, sometimes if you have multiple prescribers, they don't, the hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, and that can certainly be an issue. And if all those things have been kind of checked off, then I think it's it's time to have a conversation with the patient and or the per- Provider about has this person been assessed for secondary hypertension? The STOP2 study was published three or four years ago, and I think really kind of codified what a lot of my internists, I think, have known for a long, long time is that if you've got a, a patient on multiple antihypertensives, they very well may have secondary hypertension. There may be, a, there may be a, a, another reason that is causing or, or worsening their high blood pressure, and one of the most common ones in the United States is hyperaldosteronism. Well, there's a very easy way to both kind of pseudo diagnose and treat. Uh, and that's put them on spironolactone, and that's exactly what the STOP 2 study showed. Was that in patients on on three antihypertensives, when they were randomized to be put on spironolactone versus a beta blocker versus an alpha blocker, they actually found the people on spironolactone actually had much better blood pressure control, and it's probably because a significant number of them had occult uh hyperaldosteronism and so uh spironolactone is is, is obviously ta- tailor-made for that and so you know again those are i think i think some pearls that just kind of boots on the ground pharmacists can can have you know the next time you see a patient who's on you know gee they're on an ACE inhibitor and a beta blocker and a calcium channel blocker and a thiazide diuretic and now here they come in the door with with a, a prescription for 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 clonidine you know maybe it's time to if possible take take some time and try and figure out what's going on there so so again you know kind of bottom lining this you know uh, unfortunately the the the, the direction of hypertension control based on this study recently published in JAMA is not going in the right direction. Um, and I think pharmacists can play a big role in helping prescribers and patients get get, get to where we want to be with that. So we'll wrap up in just a second, but first a word from CE Impact, our sponsor, uh, right now. So high blood pressure. With the new 2017 guidelines, more people than ever before are going to have that diagnosis. I uh, I think that that uh, we we can do a better job. We should do a better job of 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 finding patients where they are and trying to do a better job of getting their blood pressure under control. And and again, I I don't think any more studies need to get done. Pharmacists are 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 key players that can can do this if we're allowed to. I want to thank my my uh, co-host Jake Galdo, who's Always a, a great guest star on here and always I appreciate his, his expertise, bringing uh, his unique perspective to, to all the stuff we talk about. I will catch you next week. Again, please like us, subscribe to us and spread the word about uh, Game Changers and uh, head over to CE Impact for, your, for uh, some CE programs. I'll catch you next week. And remember, uh, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll see you next week.